on-demand coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. July 3rd edition, PFT PM. What do you say? I don't know how many more suspensions will be announced by the NFL by the time I finish this. I'm glad I waited until 4 p.m. Eastern to tape it. One after another. From Reuben Foster to Aaron Jones to Jamon Brown. Two-game suspension, standard punishment for violating the substance abuse policy as it relates to any type of arrest arising from alcohol or drugs. I see that Foster's suspension has been attributed to gun offenses as well. I don't think that the gun thing affected it because I think it's two games no matter what for the, the I believe it was a no contest plea for marijuana possession in Alabama. Even though it's legal in 29 states for medicinal purposes and plenty of states for recreational purposes, the NFL continues to impose the requirement that players stay away from it. If you get in any type of trouble for it, you're looking at a suspension for a first-time offense. Now, you can test positive multiple times without ever being suspended, but if you get in trouble, you're going to get that two-game suspension standard practice. So that's the news, and... What a shock. It's all being announced the day before the 4th of July. Between last Thursday, when the Jerry Richardson $2.75 million fine was announced, and the Jameis Winston three-game suspension was announced, now today, right before the 4th of July holiday, middle of the summer, here we are. A trio of two-game suspensions. With Who knows what else is going to come in the next half hour. And I got no problem with sports leagues, politicians, big business, anyone, everyone, doesn't matter to me, if they dump bad news into a cycle where people aren't paying attention. I would do it. It's smart. Anytime you have news to announce, you decide strategically when is the best time for it to come out. If it's good news, Monday morning, Tuesday morning at the latest. Bad news, Friday afternoon or the day before a holiday. I guess they can't be accused of a Friday afternoon bad news dump because it's not Friday, but it's the same idea. The world's going to shut down for Wednesday. By the time Thursday rolls around, people won't be paying attention. And this week, start to finish, it's got kind of a weird feel to it because the holiday's right in the middle of the week. Anything that happens this week isn't going to get the same kind of attention that it otherwise would. Terrell Owens getting some attention because he's looking for attention, and that's fine. That's his prerogative. The announcement... First, there was the announcement that the announcement is coming... Today, the announcement came. He will be doing his Hall of Fame induction speech in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where he went to college, on Saturday afternoon in advance of the evening festivities. And you know what? Good for him. At least he's not doing it up against the evening festivities on a competing network. Wouldn't that have been something? That would have been a kick in the crotch to all the guys who were getting in. So... Look, it's his prerogative, and I can understand why he feels disrespected. It's not just being passed over. It's having voters go out of their way to make you look bad. It's not just, hey, there's a waiting list. It's, this guy's a piece of crap. That was the attitude from people like Gary Myers. Five teams couldn't wait to get rid of him. 
over the top. So over the top, my attitude was, why is this guy even under consideration to get in? I mean, it's going to be awkward when he finally gets in after you've said all this stuff about him, and now he's getting in, and it's awkward. There's a sense of reluctance. There's a sense that he is being admitted against the wishes of certain people. That's the feeling. It's, It's a qualified entry to the Hall of Fame. So I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all for choosing to stay away from the the actual Hall of Fame festivities. That's pretty much it. Not a whole lot else going on right now. And look, this is the slowest week of the year. There was some Colin Kaepernick news. Not exactly the news that I think Mark Garrigus has been teasing. You know, Garrigus has written a couple of checks lately that he has not honored. And there's a point where it's a bad look. May 31 was when we wrote the first story about Garrigus's boast that someone is going to dime out the NFL. Dramatic turn coming soon. About to happen is what he said. It's about to take a dramatic turn. That was more than a month ago. What the hell's going on? And then last weekend, the weekend before the, the 30th of June, the weekend of the 23rd, that was when a Garrigus weekly podcast dropped during which he said there would be news on Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed next week. Now, I don't know what next week means. I thought next week was last week. This week, the news is that the NFL is seeking summary judgment. Now, that surprised me a little bit because, and, and here's where you get your continuing legal education if you if you have a law degree, not that I'm really qualified. It's been, oh my gosh, July 1 came and went and I didn't post that it's been nine years since we joined NBC. But it was nine years ago that I started winding down my law practice. But one thing I remember vividly from handling employment cases, either for the employer or the employee, a motion for summary judgment is filed in almost every case. Anytime you're talking about evidence that requires the piecing together of circumstantial proof, inferences based upon the evidence. You know, for example, in an age discrimination case, it's very rare that anyone in management is going to say, we would just like to have somebody younger. That kind of direct evidence of discrimination typically doesn't happen. Now, I've had cases like that where there has been a comment made in a meeting that horrified the older people. But For the most part, it's more subtle than that. It's the older person being held to a higher standard than the younger person. Similar conduct, similar behavior by people in the protected class and people out of the protected class, and the people in the protected class end up finding themselves more harshly disciplined than the people out of the protected class. I had cases like that where, you know, it's one thing to focus on this employee and say, here are the rules and you broke the rules and you must be fired. Okay, fine. What about all the other people who are younger or who practice a different religion or who didn't engage in the protected conduct where there's a complaint that was made about safety or whatever the case may be? What about those people who did the same damn thing and didn't get fired? That's how you prove the case. And it's, it's not an easy thing to do because there isn't that smoking gun. It's not like a car accident where it's obvious that there was a car accident. The only question is, who's at fault? And that has to be determined by a jury. With employment cases, 
typically the employer will go to the judge and say, there is no evidence of discrimination and the case should be dismissed now, period. Because the law as applies to these facts, it makes a trial unnecessary. So then the plaintiff has to put together a 25-page brief with attachments and arguments about how the evidence does indeed fit with the law to show when you apply reasonable inferences. And, and see, what happens is if you are the one who is seeking summary judgment, the party against whom you are trying to have the case dismissed, they are entitled to all reasonable inferences resolved in their favor. You look at the light you look at the evidence in the light most favorable to the party that faces having its claim thrown out. So it's, it's not easy to win summary judgment. It's typically done, even though it you know results in significantly higher legal fees, it's typically done because you do see the value of avoiding a jury. And secondly, you force the plaintiff to put his or her cards on the table. And I think that's exactly what's going on with Colin Kaepernick. This isn't about trying to avoid a jury because there is no jury to avoid. The guy who's making the decision on the summary judgment motion is the same guy that's going to make the decision on the hearing if there is a full-blown hearing. This is about forcing Mark Garrigus and Colin Kaepernick to put their evidence out there so the NFL can better prepare for the hearing. That's what I think it is. And then maybe they get lucky along the way and they win. And the one downside, and I wrote about this today at PFT, the one downside... Once you require Stephen Burbank to go through the exercise of analyzing the evidence in the light most favorable to Colin Kaepernick, maybe he sees things in a more favorable light than he ever would have. Maybe he has an epiphany through this process of considering the evidence and says, you know what? I think I understand why they're claiming that there was collusion. I think I agree. That's the risk. Apparently, it's not enough of a risk to get the NFL to refrain from the motion for summary judgment. You know what? I wonder how much strategy even goes into it. I wonder if they even had that conversation. Because, number one, for the lawyers, there's a financial incentive to file the motion for summary judgment. And, number two, that's just what you do. But, in this case, I just... yeah. The guy who's going to be making the final decision is now going to be required to sit down and expand his mind and see what we're really, you know, he's really got to think about it from our side. He's forced to view the evidence in the light most favorable to our side. That's kind of a good thing. So we'll see where it all goes. But that's that's the, the, the news that I don't think Mark Garrigus was teasing. I don't think that's what he was talking about. So we shall see whether or not there is any dramatic turn, whether or not there is anyone diming out the NFL. Now would be the time to put that card on the table. Now you could you could make a, a calculated strategic decision if you are Colin Kaepernick's lawyer, Mark Garrigus. You, can, you could look at this and you could say, you know what, I'll put enough cards on the table, but I'm going to hold back the best stuff. I'm going to keep secret what I can keep secret. Now, you know, through the discovery process, there are certain things you can't keep secret, but sometimes there are ways to keep something in your back pocket and you have to ask yourself, okay, do I need to put this out there now or do I do I save that for for trial, for a Perry Mason moment, for a Colonel Nathan Jessup type of a cross-examination? Uh, so 
we'll, we'll, we'll see where it all plays out. And there still hasn't been much substantive information leaked about the case, but I have a feeling more of that will come, especially as the NFL tries to knock this thing out. But I, I, I suspect that Garrigus and Kaepernick are very confident that they'll be good to go. Very confident that they'll that they'll beat this back, but we'll, we'll see where it goes. All right, you know, I, I'm, I tried to get 20 minutes out of the news of the day, maybe 15. Let's answer some questions. PFTPM Posse. Sorry we didn't do it on Monday, but it, it really is slow. I, I enjoy doing it, but, I mean, we got to have things to talk about, right? Well, we got some questions to answer. Here we go. Not a ton, but enough to get us through. I don't know, another 15 or 20 minutes. PFTPM Posse, what's going on with the Kaepernick case? Is asking for a summary judgment a way to get the story to end? Yes. Just listen to everything I just said. Just play it back. Summary judgment. I remember when I first started practicing law, I think I learned about the motion for summary judgment in law school. And I always thought that's something that would be very confusing to a non-lawyer. So I always try to explain what motion for summary judgment means. And, and what it basically means is we don't need a trial. There's no, they call it genuine issue of material fact. There's no, there's no dispute where a jury has to resolve who's telling the truth, for example. If, if let's say you have a plaintiff in a case who says, the boss told me I want someone younger than you. And the boss says, I never said that. You can't win summary judgment in that case if it's age discrimination because a jury has to assess whether or not the plaintiff is telling the truth or whether the boss is telling the truth. That's an issue of material fact. It's up to the jury to decide who's telling the truth. So basically, if everything the plaintiff is saying is true and you take it all to be true, if all the evidence and all the allegations are true, is there enough to carry the day? Can you win? If every disputed fact goes your way. So so the employer has to, that's why it's so hard to win this. The employer has to say, let's assume everything they're saying is true. Even then they can't win. But through that process, you force the plaintiff to put his or her cards on the table. So that's what's going on. My burner account, who's the first to have the inevitable sad 30 for 30 special, Jameis Winston or Reuben Foster? I'd say Winston's on track for it now just because he was a quarterback and he's got more of a history from college. I think Winston. It'll be a bigger deal if Winston flames out, and who knows what it will do. Another question from my burner account. What political sideline does Stephen Burbank lean towards? If he's pro-Trump, that's bound to skew his ruling. I don't know what his politics are, but I think he's viewed as fair and reasonable. Otherwise, he still wouldn't be the arbitrator who gets these cases. This isn't one that the NFL decides. This is a jointly selected arbitrator. You know, in a lot of these cases, a lot of disciplinary cases, the NFL has the power through the commissioner to designate someone. Harold Henderson is always the guy that Roger Goodell designates, and there's a view that he's not truly independent. I think this guy's truly independent. But he does bring to the table his experiences, his views. You have to know everything you can about a judge. I remember last year when the Ezekiel Elliott cases were, were getting rolling, and we had stories about you know, whether or not the the judge is a Steelers fan or a Cowboys fan or, you know, whatever connections there may be, all that stuff is relevant. You, you, you find out everything you can about the judge presiding over a case and you make your decisions accordingly. Andrew, yay, if the Browns 
have a horrible start? Do you see John Dorsey not allowing Hugh Jackson to start Baker Mayfield? With what Jackson did to Kaiser, Deshaun Kaiser, second round pick in 2017, shouldn't Dorsey be wary of letting Jackson ruin another young quarterback if he's going to hire a new coach next year? That that's the that's the most fascinating aspect of this. Brown's plan with Baker Mayfield. They really do seem intent to me to not play Mayfield this year. And I think it's the exact opposite of what happened last year. Deshaun Kaiser starts 15 games, and it's a disaster, and he's ruined to the point where they had to trade him. This year, I think they want to keep Mayfield on ice. So it's Tyrod Taylor being coached by Hugh Jackson. And I personally believe, I don't have any facts on which to base this, but I believe John Dorsey knows who he's going to hire to be the next head coach. And he knows that next head coach wants to coach Baker Mayfield. So you keep Mayfield away from Jackson. And after the season, you get rid of Jackson. That's why the quintessential Browns outcome to this season would be the Browns make it to the playoffs and Tyrod Taylor comes back and Hugh Jackson comes back for another year. That, that would just be so fitting if that happens. At GBPack82, do you think Julian Edelman gets his suspension overturned, or does this drag out and hurt the Patriots like it did with the Cowboys and Zeke last season, a season lost due to off-the-field controversy, and there's plenty of change going on in New England to call it controversy, etc.? I, I think this gets resolved, because there's not going to be any legal challenge. And when I looked at the timeline under the PED policy, I think something could come late this week or early next week. At the, at the soonest. Now, if post-hearing briefs have been requested by the arbitrator, that's a different story. But if there aren't post-hearing briefs, this all gets resolved maybe Thursday or Friday. So keep your eyes open on that one. Because th- there is a fairly tight timetable. It doesn't mean the player automatically wins. It just means that the arbitrator is disqualified from handling any more of these arbitrations involving the PED policy for the rest of the season. Sergio D., I assume the Cam Chancellor retirement kills any thought of the Seahawks trading Earl Thomas. Do they now offer him a long-term contract? I don't know that that those are connected because I'm not really surprised by Chancellor not playing. And remember, they still owe Chancellor $12 million. So they're going to pay Chancellor as if he's there. And now they're paying Earl Thomas. They could save $8 million by moving on from Earl Thomas. I still think there's a chance he gets traded. I, I think that... You know, there's an offer on the table, or it quickly would be on the table, and I think the Seahawks want more, and there's a game of chicken that's going on between the Seahawks and the Cowboys or whoever it is. But look at what happened last year. There was talk they were trying to trade Richard Sherman. They ultimately wanted too much. They had him for half a season, and now he's gone anyway. And they didn't get any compensation because he didn't leave as a free agent. With Earl Thomas, they do hold out hope that they would get Consideration toward a compensatory draft pick in 2020 if he leaves as a free agent in March of 2019. Jason Schender, can you explain how the NFL has the ability to find Jerry Richardson after he sold the team and is no longer affiliated with the league? I think this was all understood as he went through the process. And I think he'll respect it. Look, he got $2 billion plus, And I don't know that he... He didn't own... He didn't own, like, close to 100% of the team. He had a decent roster of minority owners but he had the ability to force the sale of the whole thing but 2.75 million is nothing cost of doing business he knew going in that he was going to carve off a piece of of the windfall that he received from selling the team and i remember when he decided to sell the team right he decided to voluntarily do the thing that the nfl could do to him the, the biggest thing forced sale that all came up just in the aftermath 
of talk about the NFL forcing Jerry Jones to sell his franchise, and people thought it was ridiculous to even suggest that. Well, conduct detrimental to the league, that is the nuclear option, forcing the person to sell. So when they sell, they're going to get market value or something close to it. Because then people are like, oh, I can't believe Jerry Richardson's getting $2 billion or more to sell his team. That He's being rewarded for his bad conduct. Well, what's he supposed to do? What's he supposed to do? They don't strip you of the franchise and give you no compensation. You still own it. You sell it. And the punishment is you're selling it when you didn't plan or want to sell. That's your punishment. And they threw another $2.75 million on top of it. And they've been very stingy with the facts in that regard. But, uh, you know, at least that's one area where there isn't a double standard because Jerry Richardson had his facts hidden and Jameis Winston has the specifics of what he did in that car with the Uber driver. Not just the allegation of the groping, but also yelling of homophobic comments to pedestrians. I mean, if the whole story ever came out, I don't know, that Jameis Winston keeps his job in Tampa. And I think that's one of the reasons why he agreed to settle, to, to keep everything a secret as long as he could. At Toddster1224, did you get the two or four-door Wrangler? I recently rented one very fun car to drive. That was a four-door Wrangler, Florio Jr.'s new ride. He had a Jeep, uh, what was it? Was it Cherokee Trailhawk? Is that what it was? It was the first year those came out. That was his first car. And he'd been pestering me. Like the Wrangler's not, it's not ridiculously expensive. But, but, but I love it. I love it. We've had the tops off of it for a week and a half. I love driving that thing. So I may borrow it from time to time. But uh, yeah, it's four-door. Two-door's kind of small. Not, not that, you know, he's going to be transporting a bunch of people around. He's, you know, he's not going to have an Uber gig on the side, picking people up in a Wrangler. But... It's just really, it's just small. The two-door is really small. Toddster 1224. Two tips for making hot dogs on the 4th. Buy Martin's Potato Rolls and Boar's Head Hot Dogs. Well worth the extra money. We get Nathan's Hot Dogs. Not that we have a sponsorship, but hey, Nathan. Nathan, you want to carve off a little, a little of your hot dog conglomerate cash? We'll be, we'll be happy to promote your product since we use it anyway. I like the King's Hawaiian Buns. For hot dogs and for hamburgers. Split on the top. A little sweetness to them. Very good. At Toddster1224, if the Buccaneers want to move on from Winston, what starting caliber quarterbacks are on the trading block? Well, you don't even have to go to the trading block if you sign Colin Kaepernick. What? What? Who? Yeah, they ain't going to do that. Joe Flacco? Would he be available? Wouldn't that be something? Now, the cap hit would be would be too much. Let me multitask here. I'm going to pull up the uh, the cap the cap consequences for trading Joe Flacco this year. Next year to be a different story. I mean, if the Bengals had a backup to Andy Dalton, I don't know would he be available? I don't know. I don't know what they I don't know what they do. I think they I think they're inclined at this point because we'd have heard something by now if they weren't inclined to do this. I think for now the inclination is to ride it out with Jameis Winston and make a decision about him after the season before the $20.9 million he's due to make next year becomes fully guaranteed. The risk, though, is if he emerges from the season with an injury that keeps him from passing a physical before the middle of March, they owe him the full $20.9 million. All right, if they were to trade him right now, $28.75 million cap hit, which is $4 million more than keeping him 
they would save 12 million in cash, but it would cost them 28.75 all right now. Next year, 16 million to trade him. Oh wait, you know what? It's after June 1. If they would trade him, let me. I I am mistaken. It looks like it would be 12.75 million to trade him this year, and 16 million next year. That's what it looks like. So instead of the 28.75, 12.75 million cap charge trading him post June 1. $16 million cap charge next year. Now, next year, they could split it $8 million, $8 million between 2019 and 2020 by trading him or cutting him. Cutting him with a post-June 1 designation or trading him after June 1 would be a, a an 8 and 8, which is extremely manageable when you consider the salary cap keeps going up and up. But I don't, I don't see the Buccaneers doing anything other than keeping Winston. I'd be shocked, but who knows? Hey, Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler is probably retired. I don't know. Would Jay Cutler be a better option than Ryan Fitzpatrick? I don't know. But if I was the Buccaneers, I... I, Look, the the problem is Jason Light, the GM of the team, is not going to all of a sudden say, we have to get rid of Jameis Winston. He is invested in Winston becoming the guy that they thought he was going to be when they picked him instead of Marcus Mariota. The question becomes, does ownership say... Let's just let's just get rid of this guy now. There's no there's no scenario where we're going to give this guy a second contract. So let's just move on from him now. And I don't know would somebody trade for him. I doubt it because of that twenty point nine million. Remember we had the hypothetical discussion on PFT Live several weeks back. I think it was in May. If Jameis Winston were to be cut right now, would somebody instantly make him the starting quarterback? And my position was no. People got pissed at me. Bucks fans got pissed. It's like well every other team's got their starter set. They're just going to throw everyone overboard and say we must have Jameis Winston instead? Who's going to do that? Who was going to do that? And pay him? It just didn't make any sense. So, I don't know what happens with Winston after this season, but if I were the Buccaneers, I'd be thinking seriously about moving on from him now. Whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Griffin, Colin Kaepernick, Jake Cutler, Joe Flacco, whoever, I would think about moving on. Alexander Sandoval, what is it going to take for the NFLPA to get to get full guaranteed money like they deserve for the players? Here's the thing to remember about fully guaranteed contracts. Here's the problem you would get into. If all contracts were fully guaranteed, number one, most contracts would be a lot shorter. Look at Kirk Cousins. Three years fully guaranteed. You're not getting five, six years fully guaranteed. You just won't get a five or a six-year contract. All the contracts will be shorter. And what happens is for the longer term contracts that are fully guaranteed, what if that guy is injured and or ineffective? Let's say that Drew Brees signed a five-year, $125 million contract with the Saints, fully guaranteed right now. Well, let's, not, let, let's, let's do Aaron Rodgers. He's got two years left on his contract. He wants a new deal. Five years, $125 million, fully guaranteed. What happens if... In year three or four, he all of a sudden sucks. What do you do? You're paying that guy $25 million a year. That's money that could go to someone who doesn't suck. Now, it's Aaron Rodgers, so the chances are that's not going to happen. But if somebody like loses his fastball halfway through a six-year fully guaranteed contract, you're paying that guy, and he's not earning it. But I think if there were fully guaranteed contracts in the NFL, all that would mean is shorter-term deals. 
And remember, the funding rule. They'd have to get rid of the funding rule if all contracts were fully guaranteed because now you have to set aside a certain amount of the money for guarantees that go beyond the current year. And that is a byproduct of days when there were concerns about solvency and that we would get to year two, year three, year four, and the owner may not have the money available. That's not an issue anymore. Niners season, are you surprised Ruben Foster only got two games? I thought there may be an enhancement for the gun charge because the two games is the standard penalty for the the marijuana violation. So I thought maybe there'd be one more. Paul PJ5 wants to know how the typical 4th of July looks at the Florio household. Well, actually, we've moved the celebration this year to the 3rd for a variety of reasons. I've got family visiting who won't be able to stay for tomorrow night. So we're having cookout fireworks tonight. And in West Virginia, there are many different fireworks that, as of a few years ago, were not legal. And they are now. So we have fireworks ready to go. I highly recommend observing and respecting all forms of fireworks safety, including do not drink before you set off the fireworks. On Friday's PFT PM, my son was busting my chops about drinking Crown. I don't drink before we fire off the fireworks. Afterward, yes. Before, maybe a beer with dinner. But that's it. But hamburgers, hot dogs, fireworks. Then some Crown Roar. So... Should be a good time. I got to wrap this up because I got to go. I'm making guacamole again. I made guacamole on Saturday. Alex helped me. It was a hit. So I got to go chop the onions, the tomatoes, and the cilantro, which is a major pain in the ass, but it's worth it when you get the final product. At Andrew Ye, hypothetically, if a video of Winston's assault were released, what would the NFL do? Seems like the NFL is passing on, on a legitimate reason to institute harsh punishment, but then punishes others severely for more ambiguous reasons. Yeah, if there was a video, that would change everything. But that applies to any personal conduct policy violation. We saw that with Ray Rice. We shouldn't have needed a video to be horrified by what happened. We knew that he knocked her out. But still, when you see it, it's got a different vibe. I think with Winston, I'm convinced the NFL wants to get back to football. That was in the internal memo when Jocelyn Moore was announced as the new executive VP of communications and public relations. Back to football. I want to get back to football. The focus back to football. The NFL doesn't want another Ezekiel Elliott sideshow where there are arguments that demonstrate that the NFL doesn't know what it's doing or presides over an inherently unfair kangaroo court, which, oh, by the way, it does. Sorry, it's true. The facts speak for themselves. Tom Brady, Ezekiel Elliott, Bounty Gate, you name it. The NFL does what it wants, how it wants, when it wants. Period. All right, I'm being I'm being summoned to uh, commence the food preparation. Let me just see what else is, is cooking before we literally start cooking. At Thomas J. Gunther, which non-first-round quarterback do you think has a shot at game time this year? You know, I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I mean, did we see Dak Prescott coming? Probably not. So I don't know. Uh, What else do we have here? Nick Haberman, do you ever think there will be position-specific weight limits in football like there are weight classes in wrestling in order to make football safer? Nothing surprises me at this point. This, this change to the helmet usage, the new helmet rule, 
And, and, and if it's applied as written, nothing surprises me about where things could go from there. At Mike Likes Dirt with Jameis suspended, could Chris Sims come out of retirement to compete with Ryan Fitzpatrick? Hashtag comeback season. I already, I already joked around with him about that. He's not interested. He'd rather work with me. How about that? All right, I probably should wrap it up. Thank you, as always, for your support of the PFTPM podcast. Enjoy the 4th of July. Please drink responsibly, especially when it comes to the fireworks. And, and regardless of whether you're drinking or not, light fuse and get away. The ultimate safety precaution when messing around with fireworks. Light fuse, get away. Stay alive. Keep your fingers and your toes and everything in between. We'll do this again probably Thursday, maybe Friday. Thanks, as always, for your support, and have a great 4th of July. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.